Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. It is Outkick 360 across the Outkick network alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. And pleased to be joined by Vanderbilt head coach Clark Lee, who joins the program for the first time since we've started this show. Coach, great to have you on. We appreciate the time this afternoon. It's great to be on Outkick. I appreciate you guys having me. Give us an idea of what the first handful of months have been like. We take over in December. Uh, you, you stay on, you coach the bowl game with, with Notre Dame, and, and now you're instilling your, your ideas and your mentality into the Vanderbilt football program. The, the whirlwind, how would you describe it? I think whirlwind's the right word. You know, we, we've been, um, I mean, it, it's just, it's like, uh, it's starting from the scratch, right? It's like ground up uh, how we build it. Um, focused on the environment early, focused on the team's attitude, focused on putting systems in place to allow for us to be our competitive best this season, but also trying to establish some footing that's going to allow for us to sustain some success. And, you know, the early parts was all about hiring a staff and then, you know, reintroducing the team into the, um, into the facility and, and working our way through spring ball, learning to practice, learning to train. Um, and, and now obviously projecting into how we maximize our, our time over the next few months heading into fall camp. So all fun, all exciting, but definitely uh, I'm on my toes every day. You know, certainly uh, we're not behind the scenes of, of any program the way you've been throughout your career uh, from, a, from a coaching perspective. Um, changing habits, changing attitudes. What is, the, what is your mentality and your approach to getting people, not necessarily the players, but those around the program to buy into the fact that you need to build from the inside out and not outside in. Well, I think what you just said is has been the exact focus. Um, and, and I'll say this to you, I think internal perception is important, um, meaning like, um, you know, our players as they view themselves in a competent manner in terms of the work and the investment they're putting, the sacrifice they're they're making to, to move this program forward it, it'll build confidence internally which will then shift the way they interact externally which will drive the perception of the program in the corners of this campus and community that that is a very critical part i think the involvement in our players um at the baseball game against mississippi state that weekend i think showed a little bit of that confidence coming out of that brotherhood being built uh, here's a group of people that are choosing to spend their time supporting Vanderbilt athletics and doing it in a manner that, that again, shows a confidence in their in their position here and, and their impact here. Um, you know, I, I, I took this job understanding and I thought I've processed since I played here, you know, what I felt like was needed. Uh, I've drawn from the history of the program, the successes and the failures. I, I'm, I'm very well versed in and that going all the way back uh, to you know Jerry Donardo's time here, um, I knew that this was going to require a pretty intensive um, rehabbing of perception and also the ability to put a wall up 
to insulate the program and to really shield it from outside opinion. Um, and that, that is a task every single day. And, and really that's my task too, right? We're all prideful and it's all personal to us. But for me, I think that the, um, you know, the most important part of this is that I'm not, this isn't about me. Um, this is, I'm, I'm a steward here. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a caretaker of this program. I'm, I'm doing this for, for everyone who cares about Vanderbilt University, Vanderbilt Athletics. I'm doing this to strengthen Candace Lee. I'm doing this to put this program in position to reach its potential. And, um, and so I don't allow for um, external influence in terms of the timing of things. I'm staying true to what my instincts tell me are required here to, to build this over the long haul. And, um, and so that, that mindset, though I have to stay disciplined in it because it's hard, I think that mindset's gonna allow this thing over time. It's gonna get the flywheel turning and the momentum will build upon itself. Um, and you know, it's my job in the short term to put, it, put the program in the best competitive position it could be in, building the team, training the team, training the attitude of the team so that people see visible signs of progress too. Like this isn't something where, you know, I want everyone to just mark their calendars in 10 years and come back. This is something where I want this team to represent Nashville, represent Vanderbilt, and to be something that the community can get behind and get excited to support. Um, and, and I'm a sports fan too, you know, look, I, I enjoy going to Predators games right now because those guys get after it. And yeah. you want to talk about that, they, they talk about the identity line and how it, it, you know, those guys come in and change things. That to me is, is something I get excited to be behind. Well, I want to do the same thing here. What are maybe the visible signs of progress? If it's not a straight win loss record thing, and you're talking about a, a 10 year vision, you said signs of success come quickly when an environment's dialed in and aligned on vision. I think you told the athletic that, yep. Hmm. What can we? What what will we see, or what do you hope that we see if, if it's not wins right away? Well, I don't want to say that it won't be wins. I, I think that you know, when, I've got to be careful not to be too result oriented sure. because uh, being result focused, um, you know, it just it limits your it limits your ability to move forward. Um, signs of progress will be how our, our team interacts with this community and i know I, I don't want this to sound like cheesy either but like literally you know um this team is growing into its position on this campus we have to establish uh, a, a confidence and uh, an understanding that we're responsible to represent this program at all time which means every person that walks down this street or walks in these buildings you know we're recruiting to be vanderbilt football fans and um, when you pass uh, parents and kids on the street, are you getting down with those kids? Are you teaching them what it means to be a Vanderbilt football player? Are you giving them something, to, again, to, to rally behind? Um, I think competitive spirit is, is, a, is a huge part of this, meaning like I keep talking about with our team, you know, we, we are trying to build a team and a program that applies pressure over four quarters that puts ourselves in a one possession game late where our character traits can take over to cover the gap that remains. That is a real thing. You know, can we be the best at situational football? Can we be the best at understanding complementary football, right? We don't just play fast to play fast. You know, we're going to make sure our offense complements our defense and our special teams wins the battle of field position. You know, th those are things to me 
that um, that when you watch us play, um, you should see a team that is fighting for every blade of grass on the field and is and is going at it for four quarters. And it's going to put us in position to win games, and there are going to be exciting finishes to games as a result of that effort. So th- those are some of those signs. But I, I, w- I want to say that I think when you interact with Vanderbilt football as a program or when you act, interact with one of our players, you should feel that progress in that interaction. You should see someone that, with confidence that is engaging in this campus and community in a certain way that's going to draw people and say, hey, let me, let me see what's going on there because you know, like I'm believing in um, the people that I'm engaging with. So, Coach, I'm someone who believes that words matter. I feel like you are as well. And, and going back and reading your interviews, watching a lot of your interviews, you use the word environment a lot, about creating a winning environment. Normally, coaches talk about culture first, but you've, you've said the word environment a lot. Why is that word important to you, and what do you mean by creating a winning environment at Vanderbilt? Well, the distinction between culture and environment, and I won't articulate this perfectly, and this is, you know, this isn't necessarily mine, but I think this is just what I've what I've kind of come to understand is, you know, culture can be a lot of things. You know, culture is the, you know, kind of like maybe the 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 measure in reflection, like uh, rather than how we like um, shift behaviors in the moment. You know, the character of your team, the character of the players, um, their their collective behaviors. Like to me, I focus on environment just because this is this is um, we should have the highest possible operating standards at Vanderbilt. There should be high expectations at every turn, and uh, you know what what will happen in the short term is that'll be really uncomfortable to the to the team. These guys are, you know, if you go back to January in our first workouts, um, I mean, it was not <laughs> it was not very spirited. First of all, I think everyone was nervous. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're having behaviors that were, they were accepted or accepted practices in the, in the past be frowned upon or redirected. You know, that's always uncomfortable. You're in the same spaces in a different environment with different expectations. And so you're going to bump up against the standards of the program. But once we establish those highest, the highest possible operating standards, what these guys will feel as they get their rhythm is this this sense of like uh, happiness and being stretched, but being grown and developed every day. And then eventually that'll shift in this excitement and, and anticipation to actually take the standard as is and move it forward. Those are environmental things. How I surround these players environmentally with, with coaches that are young, that are enthusiastic, that are passionate, and that won't be told no when it comes to projecting what this program can accomplish. I think that was so important. For me, putting people in these offices that build into this vision every single day is part of creating a winning environment. And winning winning distills down to just your choices, your choices each and every day. And that, to me, is an attitude. And so the cho- choice to be competitive, the choice to uh, engage in two hours of practice, like there were points this spring where you know, the whistle blew at the end of practice and, and, and you went, you saw disappointment in it within our team. Like they wanted to keep going. Well, that's a good sign that the environment's working. These guys are enjoying football again. More is being demanded of them, but because it's a positive environment, because it's an environment where they're getting better, they're moving in the right direction. You know, they're, they're kind of becoming, becoming addicted to the work. And, um, you know, that's, again, that to me is environmentally driven. 
Coach, I feel like there's a very Silicon Valley tech startup feel to your program early on. And I'm not suggesting that you have nap pods around the facility or, or anything like that. <laughs> but one hire specifically I want to highlight, and he's a good friend of our show, Barton Simmons, as your general manager of this program, gives this the sense of something new, something cutting edge. I know he's a longtime friend of yours, having played high school ball at, at NBA together. But I'm curious about that hire, and, and if you would agree that there is sort of this startup feel to what you're doing within this program. We say that all the time here. This is like a startup. This is, you know, an undervalued stock. This is, you know, we're trying to position this thing to be drastically different. We need to occupy our space in the marketplace, right? We have a niche in this league. You know, we can't try to make Vanderbilt a mini version of any other team in this conference. We have to make it authentically Vanderbilt. And through through those efforts, we, we optimize that niche in the conference. You know, we have a certain population base that's hungry to go to a school that's not where they don't have to compromise between, you know, academics and athletics where they can do both at a really high level. And we have to establish the boundaries here that allow them to do both at a really high level. Like we don't view um, academic pursuits as inhibitors to athletic success. We think actually the, the, the things that make you a great student will also when shifted into the competitive athletic arena will make you a great player and vice versa. And so, for us, that that is our niche, and that is like to me. I want people in, in the community, in the Vanderbilt community, in the national community, more broadly, to to really reinvest in this student athlete experience because that's what we're creating here, and we're going to do it at a really high level. Um, and so within that, it's this this need and this willingness to do everything drastically different. We're not looking to model our program after any other program, and Barton's hire was a testament to that. Um, and, and the, the great thing about Barton, though, you guys know him, I mean, he's, this wasn't about a, you know, nothing, no one here is here because we're friends. This is about a capability to push the envelope and to, and to push this program into the margins. You know, for me, Barton is, um, has an expertise in recruiting. He's got an unbelievable, um, personality and, and an ability to engage. Um, he's smart. He's competitive. He's tough. You know, he played the game at a high level. And so he's not going to bring anyone's like cookie cutter recruiting approach um, to this program. He, he's going to he's going to be willing to roll his sleeves up and design it with me at every turn. What that means also is, you know, what what Barton's potential here, like he's going to grow into that potential, meaning like he's learning to, you know. And so for me, that is part of the startup environment where we're not. You know, we're, we're not defaulting to our past experience here. Everyone in this building is being pushed to, to grow an expertise, to be a continuous learner in their areas, to drive the program forward. And, and that ultimately, I, I believe, um, and I believe wholeheartedly, that'll be what allows us to not just reach a level of success, but to sustain that success over time. Vanderbilt head football coach Clark Lee is with us on Outkick 360. In the niche you're talking about, how interested in kids out of the transfer portal are you and how willing is the university to, to grant admission to, to, to undergrads and maybe grad students out of that environment? We, we have to be conscious of fit. You know, I don't, I don't, that's not even a, a university mandate. I, you know, that's a, that's a program mandate. I don't, I don't think this works by us not being true to who we are. 
Um, and I think that there's a natural filtration there that's actually going to that's going to strengthen us. Um, I don't know that you can be a head coach of a program in college football anymore and not be attentive to the transfer portal. Um, that is that is becoming a way of life. However, in the infancy of this program, I'm, I'm, I'm very conscious of the fact that we're not going to make um, short term decisions here. You know, this isn't about you know, um, compromising our values to just add a number to the roster. This is about making sure that everyone in this building is aligned towards a vision, which I think was the, the quote that you that you pulled earlier. And so that includes our players. Um, so the university has been fantastic. Uh, the admissions office has been supportive. Um, I have not, you know, occur, you know, incurred any any disruptions that way. Again, our charge as a program is to stay true to a Vanderbilt fit, which doesn't mean that you know everyone has to be a rocket scientist. I certainly was not, though. We want to go way above my athletic skill set, so you know that's that's a part of job too. Um, but no, we you know we want to. What I want to find is tough, competitive, prideful young people. Drop them into an environment with the highest possible operating systems, and then surround them with um, again systems of development that drive their performance forward in, in all areas. And in that way, this program will fulfill two missions. One, fielding a team that's competitive and tough and that people can get behind that wins at the highest possible level. But two, uh, this program needs to graduate players who value their experience here and who in turn give us access to uh, a, a little deeper dive into that pool of Vanderbilt fits in terms of recruiting. I want this this program to generate pride amongst its alums. And, um, you know, that's something also we're, we're hard at work to, to do as well. Clark Lee with us on Outkick 360. Coach, I'm, I'm curious from this process, and I'm not insinuating you won't be great at this, but I, I don't think I would be. It, it, from the, the coordinator standpoint, the assistant coach stance, you're a part of a branch on a tree. And, and now as the head coach, you are managing all of those branches. Is there a depth and a detail that you can't get into now on an individual player basis or a positional basis? One, that you're going to miss. And two, uh, how do you go about handling that now as a first-time head coach? What, what will your approach be to not being able to be as hands-on as you're used to? Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's something I'm struggling with and learning about every single day. You know, I think this program needs to, these players need to know who I am. They need to know what makes me tick. I need to take the time to make sure they understand where I'm coming from. Um, you know, I would, I would, um, you know, I, I would be missing out on this opportunity if I didn't take advantage of the, those things. And I think particularly at Vanderbilt, where we are looking to build this program, not necessarily rebuild it, but actually start from scratch and build it from the ground up. Um, you know, my fingerprints need to be on it. However, um, I've hired a lot of really capable people. And so it's the balance between uh, developing the staff. You know, I think initially when I spent time in hi- the hiring process, my mindset was, you know, you hire a staff that deploys their expertise that moves the program forward. Um, and, and I think what I've learned is you hire a staff and you get that staff directed towards a common goal. And I spend every day doing that. Um, and so where I'm not able to necessarily spend one-on-one time with every player, although I, I look for every opportunity to do that, you know, I have hired a staff of really good people and very competent people that I make sure are paying that attention 
um, to the players every single day. And, and that, that becomes my task as the head coach is, you know, my, my message is one thing. My message is either going to be strengthened or weakened by the people that deliver it on a day-to-day basis. I need to make sure that, that I'm, I'm developing and training those guys and, and men and women um, in, in, in the office in our work every single day. Where are you uh, right now, and is it a part of the $300 million renovation that is upcoming? <laughs> oh, God. I'm in my office, which, <laughs> interestingly, um, I'm at a brand-new conference table. i got a brand-new desk back there. Okay. The, the small signs of progress. This is not a part of the $300 million. This is, this is kind of short-term um, change. That well, one, one thing I wanted, I wanted the players to walk in this bill. I mean, I you guys asked earlier about how you how you how you start you know focus on change from within like one thing i wanted was you know i wanted everything to feel different i they you know if the environment's going to change um and the footprint of the facility is not for a while then you know the spaces need to change they need to be repainted things need to be torn down uh things need to be reimagined and i think that's um i think part of you know change is both internal but also it's the physical signs and so um, we have a lot going on in our building currently. They're finishing a locker room downstairs, which is going to be, um, you know, really well done. Um, but you know, all of this is going to be short term relative to the football operations facility, which which will be first class. And I'm, I'm I, again, I feel so fortunate, just grateful to be here at a time where um, the university's made this level of commitment to, to you know, supporting this program. Coach Clark Lee has been our guest on Outkick 360. Coach, we, we can't thank you enough for joining us. You're the first of uh, uh, all the coaches to jump on the show with us. We appreciate that, and we hope this will not be the, the only visit this offseason. This has been a treat for me, and you guys, anytime I can get on with you, I'm, I'm game for it. So please uh, keep me in the loop, and I'll look forward to doing it again soon. We'll hold awesome. you to it. Terrific yeah. stuff. Thanks thank a lot. Appreciate you. you. All right, guys. Thank you. Clark Lee has been our guest uh, impressive. And I, I was getting some texts from friends, uh, in, including uh, my wife, Claire, sends me a text. She goes, this guy is really impressive. Let's unpack a little yeah, bit. Yeah, a lot yeah. to discuss. David there. Reed said, sounds like a CEO, which is exactly what you want leading a, a program. Hey, he, he brought SEC. up startup. It looked like he was sitting in the Google office yeah. Yeah. right there. Yeah. I think like I was watching the show <laughs> Silicon Valley for a second. Like there was going to be something crazy going on behind it. Uh, a lot to unpack. And we will also discuss Pecorine. Uh, and the send-off last night at Bridgestone Arena. More coming on OutKick 360. Hang with us. OutKick 360 and the Tennessee Power Hour across the OutKick network crew is all here. Big thanks to Sarah Triplett, our production assistant today, David Reed, the chairman of the board, Lance Lee, Jacob Swanson doing their best to not respond to Vincent Valentine in the YouTube chat this well afternoon. Uh, if, we, you, if you are a disruptor, you will be called out by us. <laughs> the, the, you're on notice We you're on out. We will discuss and react to Clark Lee, their uh, new Vandy head coach. Uh, very impressed with uh, his overall outlook and the 30,000-foot view of the program and the three-foot view of the program. Like He, he yeah. sees both levels because he's been there and done that previously. I just think, um, and, and part of it's, self-reflective for me I, I could totally not handle any kind of job that called for that scope of having right. uh, an answer to every uh, 
every question of something that has that requires that thirty thousand foot view, right? That's and why I asked delegate him that because, it. But that's that's been his entire career, and I'm not trying to say he's old. No, he's but, not old. But you know, when you're geared towards a position group or a, a side of the football yeah. and overseeing. There's a big difference Adjustment. as a first-time head coach. And you have to take your hands off stuff like you And indicated. he's doing that in the SEC. It's not like you're doing that in the Sun Belt or Conference USA. There is a big step forward in think, that regard, and your approach in this time of, time of year is critical to I, that. I think, though, you've heard people say it, like, uh, we're unique, mm-hmm. you know, we don't want to be mini somebody else. But it always has this kind of hollow ring to it or uh, a certain lack of conviction, like yeah. do they really believe it or can they really pull it off or is this really backed all the way up and down the university? And in listening to him for that 25 minutes, I think for the first time since I've lived in Nashville since 1997, from a football perspective, not a baseball or basketball perspective, which are smaller in scope, I, I believe it. There's a top to bottom feel that runs through this guy who strikes me as just the right hire who's played there and is from here that he understands how it can be to its benefit a unique program and that's really music to nashville and vanderbilt people's ears it has to be well and i'll say this and i'll i'll preface by saying he's gonna he's gonna need help it looks like helps on the way. We and it's a long-range thing, and he knows it. I, I, I come away from that interview and just seeing the moves that he's made so far, and I think they, Vanderbilt has not hired anyone more qualified than Clark Lee to lead that program since maybe Watson Brown because he played at Vanderbilt also. And I'm not just talking about coaching resume. I'm talking about knowledge of that program. What it takes. Of this city of other programs that have high academic standards. Leader. Of being from Montgomery Bell Academy, which is a brother school of Vanderbilt, Mm -hmm. of knowing the recruiting uh, outlay of the state and of private schools in the state, especially. And just, you listen to Clark Lee, and he could be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And and David Reed said that he sounds more CEO than football coach, but I think he's a good mix of both. When you look at his track record, uh, I've never felt more strongly about someone succeeding at Vanderbilt, and that's even more so than James Franklin when he was hired, which was not universally applauded at the time. James Franklin won by sheer force of will and personality at Vanderbilt. He's got that type of personality. Clark Lee does not have that type of personality, but Clark Lee, I think, will win by knowledge of the institution and of the setup it takes to win at Vanderbilt, and by analytics, being an analytical brain the way he is, he's going to problem solve and find ways to win to some extent at Vanderbilt. I, I'm very impressed with what we just heard from him in that interview, and I think he's going to be a, a big success at Vanderbilt. I, I really do. I don't think James Franklin was saying uh, we're going to be different. I think James Franklin, through sheer force of will, was saying we can be like these other schools and maximize the degree to which Vanderbilt can be like those other schools. But it's not sustainable year to year, right? If you do what James Franklin did, you could maybe every four years win seven games. But I think with Clark Lee's plan, you can sell yourself as something different. We we say that he won back-to-back seasons of nine wins and then bolted. Nine. 
Yeah, I mean. That, oh, I, yeah. yeah there, there's no. There's no. no I, I mean, not, it did terrific. Job. I'm not saying Clark Lee is going to win to the level of James Franklin because no one's done it in right. modern history in what James Franklin has done. So, but I, I do think that they are going to succeed based on their expectations because he knows what he wants to do and how to go about doing it. Here's another key thing with him that I love. You hear this from Vandy fans a lot, excuse-making of, well, we can't compete with the SEC teams because they just let anyone in. He, in every interview I've read or heard, and even in that, this is a strength to him. The fact that there is a, a he, I think the term he used was, there is a, a modern filtration system for our school and program that will weed out who we don't want and who doesn't fit. He sees that as a huge strength, that the players that are going to be attracted to Vanderbilt are his types of players. So it's going to weed itself out for people that aren't interested yeah, in Vanderbilt. And I think seeing that as a strength, and we've talked about this for a long time, sell the fact that you're different, that you're a private school, a small school, in a huge city, in Nashville, Tennessee, best city in the SEC. With the best degree in the SEC. Sell that point and hammer it home. I think there's a group now with him, with Barton Simmons as the general manager of the program, they understand that, and they're going to they're going to cater a message to the right student athlete that's going to work well and win and succeed at Vanderbilt. And I've not heard that articulated that well from anyone. Derek Mason was not the most articulate guy. Never was, never became that at Vanderbilt. That's just not who he is. He is a defensive football coach. I go back through the history of their hires. Bobby Johnson understood some of the Vanderbilt way at Furman where he came from. Not necessarily the Vanderbilt type of guy. Rod Dauhauer, Jerry DiNardo, Woody Woodenhofer. I mean, go down the list. Again, James Franklin is the outlier because of sheer will and personality. He forced that program to move along and to win. I think that Clark Lee possesses a good mix of a little bit of everything, but more than anything else, the knowledge of how he wants to win at Vanderbilt, and he knows it up from the inside of losing at Vanderbilt as a player. And he saw and he took notes and he knows how they need to go about winning. Well, and he's not going to say a kid that goes to Princeton is losing out on life Harvard, or whatever. But yes. He he also has the ability to you can look up and see what uh, Rick Neuheisel says about him. What Brian Kelly, Scott Schaefer, what Dave Clawson says about him and the type of coach he is. But then also locally, just to flip it back to the the 3 foot view right instead of the 30,000 foot view you have Barton Simmons who certainly signs up and endorses what he brings to the table Ricky Bowers um, Tim Corbin and others that say this is the right man for the job so you get both levels uh, that say Clark Lee's ready for this opportunity and sometimes it just works out the right way and he was he was uh, the runner-up for the job at Boston College last year. Yep, nearly got that job, uh, and isn't afraid to say that he was bummed for a while when he didn't get it. Yep, uh, and I also like this. It's not about what he had to say or the pitch in his interview. It's the questions that he asked, and the answers that he got back from Vandy were ones that energized him. That's, a, that's props to Candace Lee and leadership that's in that room. Tim Corbin was a part of it. Um, to energize a coach to want to jump in and go headfirst into an opportunity that is Vandy, which is a difficult one. Uh, it, it's, it, it's one that needs to be attacked, and you have to bring a lot of energy and effort into it. 
You can't just come in and be a CEO and let others. He's got to be. It's very tactile with the approach. I, I think he, he fits the description of what you're looking for there because he can do. He can serve both sides of that. Yeah, and again, I, I'm just very impressed. I mean, just uh, talking to him and how he thinks through answers to every question. A very thoughtful guy. Uh, he just. When I think of what is the ideal brain to be the Vanderbilt football coach, I think of that interview we just did with that guy. Yeah, I think of those answers to those questions and treating Vanderbilt that way, not coming in and talking about, we're going to take over the state, and we're going to do this, and we're going we're to be Bama of the SEC. So we're, no, he looks at it from a very thoughtful, analytical standpoint. He knows uh, the, the narrow aisle that Vanderbilt is in, and he believes they can thrive in that narrow aisle. And there are players out there that want that experience. And we've said for years he's right, that if you had the right person not making excuses and looking at Vanderbilt for the untapped potential that's there, you can succeed at Vander- Vanderbilt. What is success at Vanderbilt? James Franklin was success from a wins-loss standpoint. Are they ever going to win the SEC East? I don't know. That seems like too lofty of a goal, quite frankly, for Vanderbilt football. But who knows with the right person steering the ship, and uh, no pun intended, with the Commodores and the anchor down. But I I certainly believe they've got the right person steering the ship. Their best chance long term. Also, James Franklin was probably destined to leave. This guy could be destined to stay. Could be, yeah. No no question. Um, Coming up. Pecorine was locked in last night, and it led to an unbelievable moment at Bridgestone Arena. Our thoughts on the Preds goaltender uh, that had the farewell to the fans last night in the regular season finale. That's coming up on OutKick 360. OutKick 360 across the OutKick network. It's the Tennessee Power Hour, and what a moment we witnessed last night uh, for the city of Nashville sports, for the state, uh, with the Nashville Predators and what we believe to be the final regular season game for goaltender and the franchise's best in Pecorine. Uh, just an overall cool moment. And as a sports fan, no matter what city you're in or team you're a fan of, you don't have too many situations like the one that played out last night where you have the franchise player who's played for no other team but your franchise have the send-off instead of either, either being released or traded at the end of the year and, and welcoming them back in a different uniform. That, that's why last night was so special. And Pekka played to perfection. I mean, he, he, had, he met the moment of the first star of the game and everything in between that we discussed yesterday leading up to the game of what would make it just perfection of the moment. And then he actually exceeded the expectations with how everything was handled after the after the game, with the team coming out, even those who didn't suit up for the game, uh, Forsberg making sure notable. he kept the puck. I mean, there were just so many aspects of that that you won't forget. It was it was really cool. A lot of notable people didn't dress, right? Um, you know, and it wasn't uh, full full on game because it didn't mean a lot, but it meant a great deal, like you're saying, for the team, for the city, um, and he was just beaming. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm glad he got the mask off when he did because he was just uh, the smile really kind of lit up the ice last night as as things were over. They kept him out there for a long time. 
uh, the team kind of pinning him out there, which it, it was great. It was just it great. was cool. It was uh, yes, obviously the game meant absolutely nothing in terms of standing that they're going to play the same team. Right, and this doesn't playoffs. tell you anything it, about the Predators cutting into Carolina no, no, as the playoffs no, it's, start. It's, don't, don't go there. I don't want to start negative. Right, but it is very weird to me that I'm seeing on social media <laughs> that. Hey, this doesn't mean that the Preds are going to cakewalk through this next series with these two wins. And I'm th- did you watch the first six games of the series between these two teams when the games mattered? Saturday night mattered a lot more to the Preds than it did Carolina, and they won. It was a great game. Great. Good job. <coughs> the game meant nothing in terms of the standing, but it meant everything uh, to Predators fans at Pecorine. And it was entertaining. I, mean, I don't care that it didn't mean anything. Yeah, you had the shorthanded goal yeah. by Rocco Grimaldi Which to start the game. I'm watching that game in the beginning. Then you had the Duchesne great goal to make it 2 nothing quickly it in the first period. It was good to get Duchesne going. The shutout from Pecorine. You said it It was all just served up. Softball pitch, and Pecorine knocked it out of the damn park uh, with how he played in that game. The team delivered for him, and it led to that great moment in the end. It was really cool to see. That genuine appreciation like that. You know, we can all be cynical about everything in sports and in life, but there was zero cynicism with me watching that moment and seeing the connection those fans had and everybody watching with Pecorine and that he was able to have that moment. And uh, it wasn't some teary emotional moment. It was just pride. Yeah. It was joy. It was gratitude. That's what I saw on his face as he skated around the arena uh, just the Pecorine that everybody knows in this city. Just happy to be there, right? Great guy, great athlete, great leader of that team, but someone who would smile big for everyone, wave, shake your hand, and he got a chance to do that. And then for the crowd, even if it was only you know 6,000 fans at the game that were allowed to be there, how loud it was, and that moment for him and for the city was was really, really cool. And you're going to, you know, there's the, the natural lead into, well, is he on a Mount Rushmore of Nashville? Here's what I know about Pecorine. Whatever list you want to put him on, he is right near the top. He is top pred. There are two major, major league sports teams in Nashville. I guess Nashville SC now three, but two that have a long history here. And he's the top pred of all For of sure. them. I mean, it, that, that's, that's what we know about Pecorine, and last night proved it. Because he was so happy after it was over, rather than teary-eyed. It kind of took away any sadness for me in the, in the moment, which I think made it somewhat unique. Because I'm one, uh, as unsentimental as I am on this show, um, for the people that I like and appreciate, um, I, I have to see every minute of it at the end, and I usually wind up sad in, in the moment, maybe not so much on here. But he didn't allow it to me, and I know a lot of people were talking about crying and stuff, and, uh, but I, I didn't feel a twinge of sadness at the end of that that I typically would feel with something like that at the end. He, he, and I thought he did that to me. Like, he didn't let me be sad about it because he was so happy. Yeah, and, you know, the, there's a part of the way that the – organization went about that night that makes me think that they want him back for the right price? I think they I think they want him back. Um, I don't know why. I don't know that, that he necessarily would want it. Well, he's, he's going to be a backup anywhere he goes. I don't know. Last night, there was a finality to me with the way that the players and the fans and that he treated it. Now, he didn't say this after the game. His press conference said, 
he said he hadn't made up his mind yet. He, you know, if that was it, that what a special way, you know. But with the way that the the team treated it, and the skate around the ice, and the puck, you know, and just the the standing ovations through the timeouts, and all that felt like the final regular season game for Pecorine. I will say though that if the organization wanted some finality to it, you don't play the jumbotron music to uh, after a big save. You allow the crowd to get a little bit more hype and just allow their cheering to carry you on with the camera on Pecorine. You don't give out three stars of the game. You have one at the end of the game. They gave out three. And the broadcast talked over talked over them while they led up to the first star of the game. They treated that like a normal game until the very end when the fans took over. It was like the 12-minute mark of the third period when you had the standing O and you had the big save. I'm not saying that they didn't do it the right way. Uh, I, I thought it was first class all the way. Uh, because, again, the moment was very fitting. It was perfect. But to me, that's the organization, not in a bad way. That's them saying, let's not close the door completely in case we can get him back because we would love to have him back. They took a goaltender in the first round of last year's draft. I don't think he's ready. Um, they would love to bridge the gap with a veteran. I think either way, they have a veteran backup next year. And it would be awesome to see Pecorine be that player. But... If last night was the closing chapter, and it felt like it, like as you watch him skate and you see everything, like it felt like the closing chapter to his career. Um, what a, what a way to go off if if that's the way you can. Because, and I want to reiterate this: this does not happen that often. Like I'm watching that, thinking, no. soak this in just as a sports fan. Henrik Lundqvist uh, has a heart condition for the New York Rangers and had to sit out all year. He may not have that moment in net ever. And Pecorine had that moment last night. Like that, that, that to me was special. Is there somebody next year that, that, that it doesn't have a sure thing starter that could wind up in a platoonish situation, you know, or that doesn't have a UC Soros caliber goalie that offers sure. him a little bit more money Maybe, that temp, yeah. tempts him well, to, then, to go there? As well, a there or uh, we haven't considered that option. Chad mentioned yesterday Finland, you know, uh, I. I did you guys agree though? Like last night felt like yes the clo- the final chapter yeah, it, of the well, Preds I think the fans were going to make it feel that way. I, I think that the organization handled it perfectly because they don't know. But I thought right. it was just it was beautiful in the way it was all done because it was very organic. It was not forced. The organization did what they should because they don't know. And the fans, I think, legitimately they don't know. They want him with. back, but they don't know if he's going to retire. The circumstances if he's going to want to try to go somewhere and be a starter. If he's going to want to go, served to up perfectly on a platter. Like it was, if he's not, if he if he gives up five goals, he they do the three stars of the game, and you just watch him skate into the tunnel. I mean, it, he 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 played it up perfectly, where you're able to do like the the moment itself was really special, and the Preds didn't really have to even plan for that. Moment, and like the fans it's, it took w- care of it. Uh, it, it was, was organic. It was perfect. It was perfect. Yeah, like, yeah. I, like I said, it was it was just this organic, natural moment that the the organization handled well because they don't know what's going to happen in the future. And you know, the only thing better than a send off like that, two send offs like that. I mean, he could get two farewells, right? If he comes back next year, think about the emotion and everything doing this again, where the organization right. could actually put everything into Pecorine night with a packed house. In every single break and stoppage is a highlight reel or a message from someone to Pecorine in the city of Nashville. Think of the celebrities that would line up that's been a part of Preds games in the past. 
that could give a message for Pecorine. Uh, I did find myself thinking, if, if we know next year is it, if by some chance he comes back and agrees to be the backup again next year, how cool could it be to have a sellout and have a full day and <laughs> yeah. night of messages for Pecorine? Now, the difference is you're not going to get that game again. That game was perfect. It a was. shutout in his final game as a Pred. Final regular season win. game. Everyone's thrilled and happy. You're not dealing with a loss. You know he's not out there giving up seven goals, and you keep him in just because you can't pull him right. on Pecorine night. The game part of it worked out perfectly, but everything around the game could be even better a second time around. And I'm I'm sitting here hoping that's the case that he comes back and agrees to be the backup for a year. Nashville wants to think we're not going to see him again. Uh, you know, we didn't think we were going to see UC Soros again that's, that's going into some playoff You're things. Right. And we saw him, not only did we see him, we saw him in the first period. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, you, you cross your fingers that UC Soros plays like he's played all, uh, for the bulk of this season. But you never know uh, when somebody's going to get pulled in a, in a playoff game. Let's also, uh, last night, regular season complete now. And the Preds head to the postseason against Carolina, and we'll find out when they start this series soon. Their first 28 games this year, 11-16-1, and and they end the season over their final 28 games, 27-1, and including last night's win. It's a terrific run. Fantastic job all around. And, and now can you carry that 27-1 and momentum into the postseason with you? Strong goaltending, starting with UC Soros. Uh, even last night during the broadcast, you, they're putting up the UC Soros stats. Unbelievable numbers when you see the graphic for why they want him a part of the Vesna discussion. I mean, it, it's it's worthy. Um, on, on top of that, can you uh, you use Paul's word? Can you muck it up, son? Uh, some with the physic physicality. Shuck it up. That was his word. Shuck it. Shuck can it. you shuck yeah. it up? Can you shuck it up? Shuck it up, son. Can you dirty up the style of play enough to fit the style that the Predators' identity became over the course of this season to give you a chance to win a game on the road and bring it back here to home ice? And can a guy like with twelve thousand people, Granlin, who was making terrific passes in that crucial game the other night, sustain that into the playoffs? A guy who wasn't doing anything a year ago. You know, yeah. No. Some of these guys need to sustain what they've been doing at their peak into the playoffs, and they got a lot of time off now for for that stuff to to yeah. fizzle. It, for yeah, a restart. you're right about the time off. It's a it's a little strange. I hope it's not much longer than the time off that they had before playing Dallas on that Saturday night. You know how they they played on Tuesday and then they had that layoff until Dallas came to town for that the game they had to win. Uh, what last week? Here's hoping that you don't have to wait. I think Monday is is something that's been discussed as the start of the series. It'd be a great time for a redemption story for somebody like Duchesne, who we all were way down on last year. He was telling us about puck luck and about how that loss wasn't so bad in the entry round and all of that. If he takes those two goals from last night and goes and does something about Carolina, he could do a lot to help us dim the remembrance of the puck luck speeches. For sure. You know what's great about this Preds team right now? They're likable again. That's what's happened. From March 15th, when they had a 2% chance of making the playoffs, to now, they've had an infusion of young, hungry players. Trennan, Janot, uh, that uh, herd line that even Clark Lee mentioned 
in talking about team building. Identity. This team has an identity of the early Preds teams again. Hungry, um, get after you. Clark Lee said they get after it, right? I, I like this team. I didn't like that team that lost the Stars that was not hungry in the playoffs two years ago. I really didn't like that team a year ago uh, where uh, it was Matt Duchesne afterwards saying, I've never felt better after a loss about a team than, than what we just experienced and everything we've gone through. Did not like that team. I like this group. I like this team and the way they're playing. I do not think they're getting out of the first round, but I like the makeup of this group. And Wait, they, you're saying they, the first round's going to be competitive? <laughs> I don't. I don't know that it's going to be competitive. I'm saying. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. Tell? I know this is going to be controversial to many people, but I don't think the Preds are going to go on a cakewalk against well, the Nashville. Nashville media is going to pick four. The question is four uh, nothing or four one. Well, to be fair, well, Carolina the, score. To be fair, the people who picked the Preds four nothing in the series against Chicago <laughs> were, right. were right, and uh, they were crushed for doing so, and they ended up sweeping the series. So I can't make too much fun of that, but. <laughs> Um, I do At believe the time, that, that this team has an identity, <laughs> right? This team yeah, has an identity now. Yeah. And they, can, I, can the identity win them a playoff series uh, early on uh, as they get ready for Carolina? Hey, big thanks did. to Clark Lee for joining the show. If you missed the full conversation with the Vanderbilt head coach, go back and listen to that on podcast. Podcast available literally everywhere, wherever you download your podcast. If you're looking for every single link, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, all of it. Uh, we have a link tree available. If you go to our Twitter account, at Outkick360, it's also pinned to the top of our Facebook page. You can go there. Wherever you want to find the show, you can find it through that link. And, of course, we're live daily at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. We are back at it tomorrow. Guys, just like that. Just like just that. Like just that. like that. Just bang, like bang. That. The show just is like up. That? No, just, just like, like bang, that. No. Just like bang, bang. No. It's just like bang, bang. Shuck some corn, muck some stables, don't lock the box, and do lock the locks. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.